I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. I'm so excited to be doing this show. I love making the world's greatest history podcast. Damn right. If only there was a way to, like, certify that, you know, because I feel it in my heart, but I want to be able to, like, look at people and tell it to them straight and they'll they'll believe me. Because, like, there's some greater body. If only somebody could certify what really is the best. I know what you're going for here. Yeah? But it's not the best. No? It would have to be, like, the longest-running podcast or, like... We're coming for you. That would involve episodes. a lot of assassinations, I think. Or, or... or, like, maybe the most time a podcast talks about death. We could have that. How about most failed intro segments? Okay, we could totally have a world yes. record for that. Okay. Today's topic mm-hmm. is about some world record stuff. Hey. We're going to be talking about the Guinness World Records, or like the Guinness Book of World Records. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's a story we're going to talk about later Sure. That inspired this episode. All right. I can't um, wait. But I figured the best place to start with this was like, how, how did the Guinness Book book of world records come to be i imagine there's a publisher involved how old do you think it is how old do i think like the the practice of of guinness the beer company yes compiling a list of world records i would say this sounds like some 1800s nonsense actually i don't know like when they started publishing the book like that seems very like mid-century kitsch But just the idea that a beer company is like, screw it, we are finding out who has the most bottle caps in the world, that seems late 1800s in, in like, the the philosophy of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're going to find out. Okay. So, the credit for the idea Mm -hmm. of this goes to uh, Sir Hugh Iyer Campbell Beaver. Uh Uh-huh. Long name there. The most decorated beaver in the entire Canadian territories. He sold out hundreds of his his family members in order to skin them Uh and sell their pelts. Yes. Uh, He was only born in 1890, (laughs) so I think that tells you something about your guess right there. He's the actual beaver on Canadian money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This this dude spent some years uh, in the Indian police force. He worked as an engineer in England and, and Canada. When uh, his firm was commissioned by the Canadian government, he uh, supervised the rebuild of the Port of St. John in New Brunswick after it was destroyed by a fire. So mm-hmm. I guess that could be an episode in itself. <laughs> uh, the prequel to this episode yeah. as we talk about the destruction of New Brunswick. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe it's really good. I don't know. Like a good story. A good story I mean, for an episode. It's probably not good, good. You know what I mean? Uh, during World War II, he was the Director General and Controller General of the Ministry of Works, a department of the UK government that, like, organized, you know, like, getting properties for wartime use. Mm-hmm. Uh, after he went on to be the Managing Director of Guinness, yes, the beer company, and he did that until 1960. He was also involved in the rebuild after World War II of, you know, England mm-hmm. and stuff. But who wasn't at that point? Everyone was picking up a hammer. Uh, He was chairman of the uh, Committee on Power Station Construction and advised on the Great Smog of 1952 in London, Mm -hmm. which would also be an episode. 
What was he pro or anti smog? Uh he was anti. Okay, because it's pretty great smog, or so yeah. I'm told. Well, this this uh, smog event was like so bad and lasted from December 5th to December 9th of 1952 that apparently 4,000 people died as a result of it. Whoa! And like 100,000 were ill. Put that in your of... pipe and smoke it, Los Angeles, but don't because that would kill you. Um, and then nowadays, I guess it's thought that another like 6,000 died following the main event <laughs> because of like health issues and whatnot. Mm-hmm. His advising on this led to him actually being made the chairperson of the Committee on Air Pollution and resulted in the Clean Air Act of 1956. So he's involved in a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was also chairman on the Advisory Council on Scientific and Industrial Research for a year and on an industrial fund for the advancement of scientific education in schools. And he, he was knighted in 1943 and KBE in 1956. Congratulations. Very, very big resume for this dude. So the question is, how did he come up with this idea? What led to the Guinness Book of Records being a thing? Uh, he seemed to have a lot of hobbies. A lot of hobbies. A lot of irons in the fire. Met a lot of various people. Okay. So, on November 10th, 1951. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. It's not a 1800s thing. I, hey, I was right about mid-century kitsch, yeah. though. <laughs> he went on a shooting, uh, like, party thing in Ireland, mm-hmm. hunting thing, uh, and an argument came up uh, while he was there about which was the fastest game bird in Europe. Mm-hmm. And they were like, I think it's this one. No, I think it's this one. And that evening, while they were all, like, drinking back at, like, their cabin or whatnot, uh, they tried to pull, like, reference books to confirm who was right. But they this, c- they couldn't find an answer. This is the difference between aristocrats and the rest of us. Because when I go get drunk with friends and have guns around, you know what we don't do? We don't hit up the library. That's not how that night ends. Well, I'm, I'm sure this is uh, some fancy-ass mansion that just has a library in it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, but... Yeah. We usually just hurt ourselves. <laughs> so... This not being able to find an answer in these books led to him having the idea that, man, a lot of other dudes like us who are drunk (laughs) and out shooting stuff probably get into arguments, too, about, like, things like this. Mm -hmm, And there mm -hmm. should be a book that gives the answers to questions. Yes. So that way, if you're, like, out on a hunting party or you just have an argument at the pub... You can look at it and can find out who's right before you get too drunk and, like, shoot each other. (laughs) Over the fastest game bird in Europe. What kind of argument is that? Who cares? They apparently cared a lot. You either shoot it or you don't. The end. (laughs) Yeah. So he told this idea to some other people who worked for Guinness. And this other guy was like, hey, I have some friends. Uh, their names were Norris and Ross McWhorter. The, uh, the McWhorter brothers? Yeah. All right. They, they were twins, uh, <laughs> and they happened to be running uh, a fact-finding agency in London that they opened themselves. Do they not call them detectives over there? Like, what is a fact-finding agency? It, uh... Are they research adjuncts? So, so they opened this also in 19, uh... 
51, and it was an agency to provide facts and figures to newspapers, yearbooks, encyclopedias, advertisers. Okay. Um, they tracked the facts and then, like, were hired to confirm things. Or, like, we need this a fact about this type of thing, but we don't know yet. We don't have the answer. Mm-hmm. They would track it down. They would do the research and figure it out. So, like detectives, but without the crime. Yes. Okay. It was like... How fast can a cheetah go? Fast enough. What's That's... the heaviest train in the world? Are you going like to lift one? This is all pointless. Yeah. This is drivel. They they ended up being commissioned to compile what would become the first book in uh, 1954. Mm-hmm. Um, a thousand copies were printed and given away. The following year, larger, almost 200-page edition was bound and was sold, and it ended up at the top of the British bestsellers list. Hooray, you um, did it. Which they were not, like, expecting. <laughs> um, and then, like, the following year, it launched in the U.S., and it sold 70,000 copies. That sounds like a really lot. fast. Yeah, yeah. It grew really fast. And they were like, mm, we just thought this would be for, like, pubs. Now, did they give themselves the record for fastest-growing uh, annual publication? Uh, no, but Guinness does hold most copies sold of a copyrighted book or something. That seems like a conflict of interest. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. So, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about Norris and Ross, though. Yeah. You know, they're like the real men behind the book. Because the other guy's a beaver. Yes. Yeah. As I said, they, they were twins, and they, uh, would be the ones to update the book regularly together from 1955 and... Well, I guess more 1954 when it started until 1975 together. And then Ross uh, would die and Norris would continue Mm -hmm. for a while longer. Um, So both were uh, in the 1950s uh, sports journalists. Um, They were also both writers, political activists and TV presenters. Uh, and, through their career. And they were in double mint gum commercials and they did everything together. Uh, so as I said, in 1951, they, they founded their agency to provide facts and figures. Uh, Norris came into the public eye when he was working as a sports commentator, when he was reporting on Roger Bannister's first sub-four-minute mile run. Mm-hmm. Uh, both brothers were members of the Conservative Party. Ross sought unsuccessfully the seat of Edmonton in uh, 1964. Mm-hmm. They were had some interesting political views. Uh, oh, interesting. Uh, like like you would read an op-ed they wrote and say, hmm, that's interesting. No! no? Uh, so, so I say interesting, like, with sarcasm. Oh. So, lots of sarcasm here. So, like, Ross on Ireland. Sure. He advocated for lots of restrictions on the Irish community in Britain. Mm-hmm. Like... You should have to register with local police and provide photographs when you're renting a room and stuff. Right. Because he's an ass. Where, where are your papers, Irishman? Yes. Lot, lots, of, lots of stuff like that. Sure, this, sure. Know. In 1974 and 1975, um, there was a lot of unrest happening. There, there's over 14 months, there was uh, various bomb attacks by the provisional IRA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, 40 bombs exploded throughout London. Ross was like, hey, 
I'll give like 50,000 pounds to anyone who's willing to give information to security forces on IRA activities. And this 50,000 pounds, that was on the back of 20 years of Guinness World Record books. Yes. All right, sure. Uh, He was shot and killed by two IRA members Mm -hmm. or volunteers because of that. Right. So that's how he died. So, you know. Around this time, uh, both brothers were part of the founding of the Freedom Association, uh, which apparently initiated a lot of legal challenges against trade union movements in the UK uh, and campaigned in the 80s for English cricket players to tour apartheid era South Africa because they're like, well, you know, our, our cricket players deserve freedom to go there when like the cricket people are like, Mm, we shouldn't support the apartheid. <laughs> like, yeah. Another sarcastically named thing, the Freedom Association. was. Y- yeah. yeah. They had an interesting idea of freedom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, some other things this uh, like association has done, like in 2010, they campaigned against in- the introduction of national identity cards. Though in the 80s, they were like, yes, national identity cards. Mm-hmm. So... And uh, they all, they also are recently behind a Freedom to Vape campaign, which is, of course, supported by the vaping industry. Sure. You know, it seems like a lot lower stakes than the, the freedom to fire people for organizing in the workplace. Uh, I, <laughs> I can't get mad at vaping. I just can't. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, but to give an idea of, like, how they have their hand in everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's, like... Not what you expect. Sure, sure. You know? Um, the, the Guinness Book of World Records brought to you by right-wing nut jobs. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, and these, these nut jobs also uh, had a TV show called Record Breakers. The brothers were known for having a photographic memory. That would um, help with their fact-finding. So on, on their show, um, they would answer any question the audience had on site um, about entries in the Guinness Book of Records. Mm-hmm. After Ross died, Norris continued doing it, and apparently he became one of the most recognizable people in children's TV where where this aired. Were Irish children allowed on the show? I don't know. Okay, all right. That. Norris retired from the book in 85, mm-hmm. but he kept on an advisory role until 1996, but then the company kicked him out. <laughs> Uh, so then he started a new book, which was called Norse McWitter's Book of Millennium Records in 1999, which, like, I think I remember seeing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like I remember this. So that's a little bit of how I got started. Sure, which sure. Which is not what I expected when I went looking for this. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really surprised by uh, Sir Beaver <laughs> being all like, I'm drunk. We need to decide this, uh, figure out this fact. There has to be a better way to debate birds with your aristocrat friends. Big more surprise about those other ones. (laughs) I I think the big surprise for me from, you know, the initial idea is that it was birds. It wasn't any sort of like human achievement or a thing a person did. Just the fastest bird. Which is really funny because there's been a shift more in the facts. Mm-hmm. The m- more recent 
I say recent, like decades and stuff, has focused more on personal feats, right? Which is what like we think about with Guinness is like you know how many largest stamp collection, how many hot dogs you can eat in yeah. ten minutes, uh, <laughs> how, how person that you know played a video game for the longest or tallest person. You think about like those things. It seems like the earlier versions had stuff like that, but it was also a lot more like yes. Fastest type of bird, heaviest uh, fish. Like, th- <laughs> I mean, that fish earned it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, things that weren't like personal feats. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. more like nature-based things as well. And industry, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Oh yes. So as I said, the book does hold the world record for best-selling copyrighted book of all times. That you, is it. Because you got to get the Bible out off the list. Yeah. 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 They now pretty much print new editions every year in September and October, so it can be out in time for Christmas. Naturally, that makes sense. So when Norris was ousted from the company, that's when like a big shift happened to in like how the book was presented. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'd see this this book at like Borders. You know, it'd be out there on like the tables with all the different like books. Great big coffee table sized book. Yeah. Yeah. It was always filled with, like, lots of pictures and very flashy and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Holographic cover. Yes. Yeah. Be- well, before Norris was ousted from the company, uh, the book was more text-oriented. Mm-hmm. And then they shifted to it being more illustrated with lots more pictures. Right. You had to get rid of the apartheid supporter before you could bring in the colors. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and now the majority of world records are no longer listed in the book or the website. A book has about like 4,000 facts in it or like mm-hmm. records in it. The website only lists like 15,000 at a time, though they like <laughs> change it out every so often, like every month or something. They like put up different things. But the database is like 40,000. <laughs> or not for, yeah, 40,000. So it's like, Kind of nuts, like how much you only see. Mm-hmm. And now anything that's not like listed, the only way to find out like what the record is, is to like write them. <laughs> to be like, hey, what is it? Especially if you want to like break it, you have to like write them to have them tell you mm-hmm. and like send it an application that like, I want to do this. Yeah. And it's like... I want to karate chop the most blocks in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like four to six weeks to get a reply. (laughs) But you can pay them somewhere between $450 to $750 to, like, find out faster. Sure, sure. Because they aren't making enough money on the beer or anything. Yeah. (laughs) Are they selling the beer at a loss just, just for this? Just for this book. This is what's keeping them solvent, clearly. I'm, at, I'm not really sure how, like, connected the businesses are now, actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was having trouble finding out anything on that. So I don't <laughs> actually know if they're, like, still, like, or if they just, like, have the name. Mm-hmm. So over the years, they've, they've like, changed. There's been changes to, like, what they will and will not record. Uh-huh. Like, they will not do anything that has to do with, like, killing animals. That's good. Which is good. So, like, most elephants shot on the prairie. Yeah. Also, what's an elephant doing on the, <laughs> the prairie? prairie? Yeah, I was gonna Why say. are you hunting in zoos, you weirdo? But yeah, so it doesn't have stuff like that. They also um, have to remove things like heaviest fish. 
because they were like, you know, people are probably like now overfeeding their pets. Uh huh. To get this record, so that's bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they've also dropped a lot of things that have to do with eating and drinking due to like health concerns, especially anything that has to do with like alcohol mm-hmm. or things that aren't actually food. <laughs> so like there used to be stuff like record for eating the most parts of a bicycle or something stupid thing like that. They don't, they don't, you can't do that anymore. Sure. I mean, sure. you can, but they will not like. They won't give you a, they, you a certificate. Yeah, or. They won't. They won't accept it. <laughs> um, there's also certain things that have been like closed and then like reopened. So like sword swallowing, they were like, mm, "We're done," because this last person has taken it to like a level beyond what is like agreed upon as safe. So we're just gonna say no more. Uh huh. But then they did do like reopened it. To, like, three applicants for a special, like, TV thing in 1998. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay. The world's about to end. Just go nuts. Yeah, like, Millennium's coming. <laughs> let's let's just go out with a bang here. Our, our database is going to be chewed and spit out by Y2K. Just have at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they've also required, uh, like, any food challenge. We're like, okay, largest cake in the world. Like, it has to be all edible, and you have to give the cake away to people after <laughs> like you you can't just make it and throw it away there has it has to be an event set up with where okay now we're all gonna eat it well if you just threw away the world's largest cake you'd also have to apply for the record for world's largest dumpster yeah and not everybody has the means to go for both at the same time yeah, yeah. i actually was reading about like this one place where they tried to make the world's longer largest sandwich but they didn't get to measure it before people started eating it. Oh no! <laughs> and so they they didn't qualify. You to gotta do have it. somebody on one end of the sandwich and the other end of the sandwich. You gotta get them cell phones. Yeah, because it's too far to yell. It's a very yeah. long sandwich. Yeah, yeah. People ate it before they could do anything. They also will not accept any claims for like beauty mm-hmm. because they they actually like state like beauty is not an objectively measurable thing. I was so going to apply like, for handsomest podcaster. You can't. They won't. That's not a category they do. Also, I'm if you were like, like fourth at best. Podcaster with the longest ear hair, that would be a thing. You got something you want to say to me, dear? <laughs> no, it's just I just remembered though a picture I saw of the person who holds the record for longest ear hair and it gave me nightmares. Oh, okay. <laughs> It looked like troll dolls were coming out of his ears. <laughs> it was really bad. Samuel Beckett, playwright with the yeah, longest ear hair. You have wonderful ears and very little hair in them. <laughs> Hear that, folks? And then there's also a lot of like rules and regulations about how uh, your record can be included. Um, as I said, you gotta like apply and you gotta like notify them. And then there's certain things where like they'll either send someone out or like. You need to have witnesses, and the witnesses need to, like, not at all be related to you or, like, familiar with you. You have to find especially trustworthy strangers from off the street. Basically. (laughs) Uh, There there was recently a woman who was trying to, like, break a record that had to do with, like, running on a treadmill. Like, Like longest treadmill run or something? She ran for, like, a week. Oh, gosh. Um, but she unfortunately used one of her boyfriend as one of the witnesses and they're like, okay, we recognize that you actually did it. We have footage that you did it, but we can't 
say yes, and we can't accept this, because one of your witnesses was your boyfriend, Mm -hmm. and we have to, like, stick by our rules. But they can give themselves the record for best-selling copyrighted book. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, did your boyfriend buy one, Guinness? <laughs> so so why did I pick this topic? Tell me. Tell me why. I picked it because I came across something called Balloon Fest 86. <laughs> Balloon Fest 86 sounds like the headlining part of some like found footage festival tour. <laughs> well, I did come across it on YouTube through like this documentary that was put together of found or like footage mm-hmm. shot in 86 about this event from like news stations and stuff. The United Way of Cleveland's attempt to set a world record as like a fundraising scheme. Right. Like So like everybody's buying like balloons. Yeah, you could sponsor a balloon for a dollar. And it's going to charity, I'm sure. Yes. Um well, so the United Way. Their, yeah. their original plan was a goal of two million balloons. Okay. They three quarters. They not ended bad. up doing about one point four to one point five million. Sure. Now it's supposed to be, you know, a harmless fundraiser. But immediately gotta think, hmm, that's a lot of pollution and littering. That's a lot of latex. A lot of balloons. It doesn't really biodegrade. And you're like, okay, that's gonna go up. And then like the the little balloon pieces are gonna come back down to the ground and still like Pollute everything. Yeah. So not harmless. There's still an island of, of balloons floating in Lake Erie to this day. It came, it, it all happens in like the worst way possible. Sure, sure. The event was coordinated by Balloon Art by Treb. It was an LA company. and it, six, That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Six months uh, were spent preparing for this. <laughs> a structure that was the size of a city block was put up with a three-story high like, thing that would have a net that would keep all the balloons in. Mm-hmm. Okay? Thousands of people mm-hmm. spent hours filling the balloons. On uh, September 27th, a rainstorm was coming in. So they did an earlier release than what was hap- going to happen. Happens to everybody. They released them, and they went off, and it was crazy, and they were everywhere. <laughs> now, typically, a helium-filled latex balloon that is released outside will stay up, like, long enough... That the, you know, helium all goes away and it completely deflates before it lands back on the ground. Okay, Typically that is what happens. Well, because of the storm coming in, when the balloons collided with this front of cool air and the rain, um, they just dropped to the ground, still inflated. (laughs) So they ended up clogging waterways and land... Like All across Northeast Ohio. Streets cluttered with balloons. Yeah. For days following, balloons were washing ashore um, the Canadian side of Lake Erie, mm-hmm. around Ohio. They were, um, they had to shut down the airport for a while because the balloons were all like floating low to the ground. So for, for one month, Ohio's greatest export was balloons. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, like the highways had issues because people... Like these these giant mod balloons would just suddenly like come down into the roadway and people would like swerve. <laughs> um, and now the big thing is two uh, fishermen had gone missing the day before, mm-hmm. and the coast guard. Well, they was could out. see what's coming. They didn't want any part of this. Coast guard was out on Lake Erie, and they also had coast guard helicopters out. Uh, they had issues with with what they called the asteroid field of balloons. <laughs> Because the balloons were 
everywhere in the water. Mm-hmm. Thus making it difficult for their boats to get through. Yeah. Because of, you know, that would clog up their motors. Also, it made it impossible to tell if, like, there was, you know, a body floating yeah, or, or just Yeah, or balloons. any other sort of debris, yeah. Um, so they ended up having to call off the search, and the bodies were, a couple days later, washed ashore. Obviously Aww, dead. Oh, no, I'm sad. The family of one of the men sued United Way <laughs> uh-huh. and the company that organized it, and uh, they did settle for an undisclosed amount. Sure, sure. Um, because they're like, you know... They could be alive if it wasn't for your stupid-ass balloons. Quite possibly. Balloons also, like, landed in, like, horse pastures uh, and spooked a bunch of the animals, which led to another lawsuit because these animals were, like, permanently injured from it. Well, yes, horses are very dumb. Um, it was, like, chaos. <laughs> it was pure chaos because, like, you knew it was going to pollute it anyways. But it all came down at once. <laughs> And it never, like, dispersed very far. It was all just, like, the surrounding Cleveland area. Mr. President, we have an emergency. The balloons are back, sir. (laughs) And Kittis did not recognize it as a a new record because of what happened. The Coast Guard. (laughs) The one branch of the armed services I like. (laughs) Yeah. Were defeated by a million and a half balloons. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Huh. All right. But then all I could think about, though, is the fact, like, because then they're all talking about, like, oh, this is so terrible, this is so terrible. I'm like, and no one thought about how terrible this was before, like, you released them about what was going to happen when all the latex came back to the planet anyways? Yeah. No? No one had this idea? Yeah. It's so much. It's so much. So so this is what inspired me. (laughs) So I was like, first, what other events have happened that, like... Didn't go as planned. Sure. And also, why does this exist? <laughs> How does the Guinness World Records exist? Why is it a thing? Um, so I did look up a, a couple other, like, stories of, of uh, record-breaking attempts going wrong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I would like to share. Sure. Okay. This, this one's interesting because there's not a lot on it. There's this guy in Russia mm-hmm. um, named Argasi Vitanian. Uh, who sat inside a glass box in St. Peter- Petersburg and didn't eat for 50 days in 2006. For fun. You know how you do. Sometimes you got a long weekend. So, like, the stuff I was reading was saying that he uh, was inspired by David Blaine's attempt at this on TV and was yes. like, okay, I can do it. And so he did it for 50 days. Uh, he never told the Guinness he was doing it, so they didn't know about it, which, you know, is a big, like, qualification problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also, like, didn't look up the actual, like, longest hunger strike record, <laughs> which, uh, in 1920 was given to the Irish, a group of Irish prisoners who went on a hunger strike for 94 days. Mm-hmm. So he, like, came out thinking, like, yes, I did it. Of course, but that, he did it. Uh, that record wasn't added to the book until after the 70s, because... Too many people working at the office didn't consider the Irish fully human. Yeah. 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 But then, apparently he did this again? (laughs) In 2015 for 55 days in Burbank? Can you imagine Um, not eating for 50 days and then later calling that practice? (laughs) Well, so the articles I found on him doing it the second time, Mm -hmm. it was like a protest this time? Sure. So he did it for 55 days because he was turning 55. 
But then he specifically had it end on May 28th, which is the day that Armenians celebrate independence and creation of a nation. So it was like in protest of the Armenian genocide. Sure. And articles that were written about this said that his first one was a protest. But I never found a single thing that said that it was. Just that he was trying to break a record. <laughs> and so, I don't know if I'm just finding the wrong information. There or are. My, my, my thought is, that here's this guy, like, tried to break a record, and it didn't happen. So then he's like, you know what? No, it was a protest. I was protesting stuff. I wasn't breaking a record. I don't know what you're talking about. It was a protest. There were a lot of things to protest in 2006. He's covered. It's fine. Yeah. Another one I like to talk about is Domino Day. Domino Day? Just make the pizza. Just shut up and make your dang pizza. Like the, 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 the Domino thing. Oh, things. okay. So From Deadpool 2. In, in Netherlands, uh, there was a TV production. Sure. Um, that every year... From uh, 1998 until 2009, attempted to break the world record for most dominoes toppled. Mm -hmm. and they were considered successful, I guess, like every year but one. And it was actually it's crazy, but apparently Domino Day was like the biggest TV production like ever in the, the Netherlands. <laughs> and was like broadcast in a lot of countries. It was like a huge event. They're just trying to show the world that they're more than just tulips yeah. and windmills. So in uh, 2005, they were they were a couple days away, like four days away from like the, the event. Mm -hmm. They were setting up all their dominoes in this like convention center. And one and a half million balloons came in. A sparrow flew oh, in. okay. A sparrow flew into the building and knocked down like 23,000 dominoes. <laughs> Because it, like, accidentally landed on a couple, and then, you know, dominoes, so they, they just kept going. They did the thing, yeah. Um, so they, like, brought in an exterminator who shot the sparrow dead. Uh-huh. Which made a lot of people really bad, especially when they found out that it was uh, a sparrow that was classified as an endangered species in the Netherlands. <laughs> uh, so there was, like, public outcry over Maybe this. they're endangered for a reason, okay? They're a public menace to national pride. No, they're endangered That's, because of, like, human, like, you know, development taking so over their habitats. It sounds like they're endangered because they're a bunch of treasonous jerks. So, yeah, they, they still, like, reset up all their dominoes and then, like, broadcast it on TV. Mm -hmm. But... They shot a bird. Because they're like, no, don't touch the dominoes. I'm like, someone close the door. Don't let a bird in. It's all on your, your own fault. Yeah, yeah. My voice is so going right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a good thing I only have like one more story to tell you. Sure, and then there's mail. The the one I want to end on <laughs> is... Our, our big finish. So in 2008, a group in Croatia tried to set the record for... Most people dressed as Smurfs. Why? They thought to get break of the record, they needed 291 people. Mm -hmm. The record they thought was at 290. So they got 395 people dressed up as Smurfs. To be safe. And, and like, you had to have, like, your, your any exposed body painted blue. Uh-huh. And, like, wearing the costume. Well. So they, like, did it. You don't have to paint your legs because Smurfs all wear pants. 
Okay, only the lady ones have to paint their legs because he got one in a skirt. Well, some of them were like, don't they wear like the knee length pants or something? No, their pants are their shoes. It's one garment. It's well, very... when you're a human, you have much longer legs, and They're... that means you got to paint like your knees. A human sized person wearing Smurf sized clothes, is this what you're saying? It all looked like they were wearing diapers. A Smurf is only three apples high. You're not going to fit. It doesn't work. <laughs> so anyways, so they did it and they're like, cool, we broke the record. Here's here's our, our stuff, Guinness. They're like, well, actually, what you read on the internet isn't right because some people last year did it with 451 people. The Smurf craze, the international Smurf wars, devastated the land. But in 2009, about uh, over 2,500 people dressed as Smurfs <laughs> in uh, Swansea, Why? UK, uh, and hold got the record instead. Oh, so, folks, we need to help the people of Wales. <laughs> We're going to be collecting board games, <laughs> card games. DVDs. Because they're all dressed in a Smurfs. Anything to help them pass the time in, in Wales. It's apparently uh, they got some problems. Yeah. Just airdropping library books <laughs> across Swansea. So I, I enjoyed looking up some of the, the events and things that people did that didn't involve people dying. <laughs> uh, because there's a lot of that. This episode could have been really sad. Um, but I tried to go for ones where people people didn't die. Mm-hmm. Bird died, but people didn't die. Uh, to share... Some horses got maimed. The goofy stuff people did. And what I really learned was you should really follow all these steps that the Guinness World Records lays out on their website about trying to attempt one of these things. If you want to get published. If you want to actually get that record. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there should be an asterisk on every record that says, like, you know, yeah, world's largest stamp collection, parentheses, under the, like, restrictions of the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, like, somebody could have done more hours of hopscotch continually, you, they just didn't follow the rules, and you would yeah. never, ever know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I found out that I thought was very odd is, did you know that there was a Guinness World Records video game for the Wii? There was an everything game for the Wii. <laughs> I guess it came out in 2008, and you, like, picked an avatar, mm-hmm. and then you went around and p- played mini games, but it was like, you know, build the tallest skyscraper, and like, okay, let's eat this jumbo jet. Which is not something you can get in the book for. Not anymore. Because <laughs> it's not food. At one time you could, but not anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the rules they put in, or at least a lot of them, they seem very nitpicky. But you did say you took out a lot of stories that had very sad endings. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of things where, like, this person's attempting to jump through 12 panes of glass. And on the first attempt, broke their neck. Or, like, this person attempted to do this, and they died. And this person attempted this, and they died. So how many of the rules do you think came from, well, we need a rule to prevent this from happening, or, like, after or before the fact? Like, how many of them were preventative rule changes? Well, I mean, some of them were when they were, like, like with the sword swallowing and stuff, where they're like, we are at a level that Mm -hmm, experts mm -hmm. say is the farthest that can safely happen. 
So we're just not going to let anyone attempt anything else. At least towards us, they could do it on their own, but we're not going to encourage it or publish it because it's not safe. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I guess that's good. Like they're mm-hmm. they're not just worried about like getting like the biggest record all the time. But it's it's very it's very odd. And I mean, I get at the same time why they have to have so many like rules because things have to be do- like if they're not there to document it you have to document and you have to have people like that can be witnesses because otherwise you could just say you did something mm-hmm. especially in this day and age with so much technology that's available yeah for, like doctoring stuff you you, you need that <laughs> but it's so odd to me that it's, it's impossible to like have access to all these records at one time that seems so like i get the books not being able to but it shocks me that their website isn't yeah it was also very hard to find things that like these stories of like failed attempts were honestly really hard to find yeah you could find like little snippet things but you'd like big story events which i'm sure there's more of them that happen than you hear about Mm -hmm. um i was like why don't you guys should have like a second website just for like people who fail at stuff (laughs) The Guinness Book of World Record attempts. Uh, attempts. Yeah. Mm. But I guess, you know, that would work, be where it gets really dangerous and stuff. And they'd have like 400,000 entries. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and be back with letters and stuff. Record-breaking amount of fun listening to our story this week. Yeah. And now we're going to read some of your mail. Yeah. Flavor 5 sent us an email with some very, very cute doggy pictures of Lola, who is so snorty that when they play, it sounds like the puppy is a malfunctioning blender. Aww, puppy. What type of dog is Lola? I cannot remember (laughs) if we have been told. But Lola looks a lot like a Moki. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if they're cousins. <laughs> so let us know. Thanks, Flava5. Final Gamer writes in with some more uh, Churchill facts, because he was a, uh, I wouldn't say minor, a, a middling-sized character in our last episode. Yeah. So, somewhere between a, a headliner and a, a minor character. Some other ignoble uh, uh, adventures in the life of Winston Churchill. Uh, deploying armed forces to, to stop the minor strike in Wales, which uh, was not particularly popular in his home constituency of Dundee. Sending the armed forces to Ireland to quell the growing anti-British sediment there uh, post-World War I. Again, not very popular in Dundee, home to a, a fairly sizable Irish population. And also, he was an outspoken opponent of women's suffrage and women's rights, there's also a lot of ladies in Dundee. He uh, he eventually lost his seat to uh, one Edrin Scrimgour, a prohibitionist candidate. And you gotta really hate Churchill to vote for the uh, uh, prohibition guy. Um, yeah. So that is how his uh, time in politics finally came to a close. Thanks, Final Gamer. James uh, sent us an email 
and made up their own prompt, uh, since I didn't have one. And uh, their prompt was something historical about a subject that you teach children. Uh, So for this one, uh, James is going with one of the first things you teach children is the alphabet. Teach them the alphabet. Usually. So it's sharing a story about the alphabet, but not the English alphabet. We We are talking about the Hangul alphabet or the Korean alphabet. Mm-hmm. This alphabet was created by the fourth king of the Joseon dynasty, Sejong the Great. I might have said that really wrong, but that's what we're going to go with. And it was a personal project for them. Uh, before then, they were using uh, Chinese characters, as well as their own writing system based off of Chinese. Um, but because Chinese characters are known for being very complex and hard to learn, a lot of the lower class was illiterate. The the king made a new alphabet uh, that was a lot easier to read and write uh, and understand. Apparently nowadays, some linguistics say that it is the most logical writing system because it mimics how a mouth would form when making the sounds, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. In modern times, uh, both Koreas uh, have a day celebrating the alphabet, uh, South Korea on October 9th and North Korea on January 15th. So thank you, James. Ian wrote in and is also making their own fun in uh, the absence of a prompt and wants to talk about etymology. Uh, We we had a bit of a diversion about uh, the the two completely different words that are both pronounced bizarre. Yeah. So Ian is sharing their roots. Bizarre was a Persian loan word, uh, the the one that means strange and and weird with the, the double R in there. Yes. It first went to uh, Italy and became bizarro, meaning irascible and short-tempered, and then unpredictable and eccentric when, when it came over to France, and then finally strange in an unsettling way once English picked it up. Yeah. There are plenty of other Persian loanwords uh, in English and, and other languages, of course, like orange, alchemy, and algebra. Was well, somewhere along... The word orange's journey, did it rhyme with another word? You know what rhymes with orange? Hmm. Silver. As another example of this uh, linguistic coincidence, Ian wants to talk about tattoo. So uh, if you're talking about, you know, getting inked, uh, that comes from the Tahitian tatao, which means basically the same thing. Uh, but the, the less common of tattoo, the, the musical sense, you know. The band? Not the supergroup that's saying they're not going to get us, no. <laughs> What's it mean in a musical sense? A performance off a musical by a military group. Oh. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, that comes from a Dutch phrase, do den tapto, which means turn off the tap. Uh, during the Thirty Years' War, and around 1600, military garrisons in the Netherlands would play a horn or drums before curfew to tell nearby innkeepers to stop selling beer and send any soldiers back to base. I'm just imagining turn down the tap to like... Turn down for what? Yeah. Yes. In <laughs> yes. my brain, I'm just like, turn the, down the tap! Yeah, the, the tattoo remix. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I want this. But uh, that phrase was shortened to just being called the tap toe or tap two, and it eventually made its way into English. Uh, you usually hear it, I think, as a, as a way to describe a drum line, I think, especially a military drum line playing a tattoo. Okay, sure. 
Uh, I'm not around many military drum lines. Well, let me tell you, they know how to party. Yeah. I insulted all of them earlier, except the Coast Guard. Because they turned down to tap. <laughs> so you've got one word, sort of, with two different meanings that come from the opposite sides of the planet. Uh, one is a loan word, and one is a calc. So thanks for the, the subject, Ian. Yeah. Seth is uh, going back a little bit to our, our CIA prompt. And wanted to mention the CIA project Acoustic Kitty, mm-hmm. uh, which was the CIA's attempt to create a bionic spy cat to steal Soviet secrets with a microphone implanted in its ear. <laughs> uh, the project ended in 1967 when they were like, mm, "This isn't this isn't really practical." And apparently, the cat became you know unbionic and lost lost its little microphones and stuff and lived a very happy life. Uh, but Seth much prefers the idea that the cat went rogue uh, and, you know, proceeded to wander the globe as a soldier for hire. Yeah. Yeah. How much money did the CIA spend before they found out that you can't rely on a cat to do what you want it to? I think they would have had much more luck with spy pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Seth. Alex and Faye wrote in and provided some pictures from their wedding. Yay! Happy wedding! Congratulations. They all look lovely. But the the meat of the message was uh, some more stories from the life of one Salvador Dali. Once he appeared on the quiz show What's My Line, and uh, a bunch of contestants were blindfolded and had to determine the identity of the mystery guest by asking a bunch of yes or no questions. He answered every question with yes, no matter what they said, even if it conflicted an earlier uh, question. (laughs) What a jerk. And they guessed right. (laughs) They got it in the end. Still, what a jerk. Uh, When Alejandro Jodorowsky was uh, trying to film his version of Dune in the 70s, uh, which is... A story in its own right, there is a documentary about this failed film, but one of the the great stories from it is they wanted Dali to play uh, the Padishah Emperor, the, the, the King of Space, essentially. Yes. Uh, and after all these negotiations, they, they won him over by saying, okay, we're going to give you $100,000 for every minute you show up on screen. They wrote his part to be as minimal as possible. He probably would have only been in it for about six minutes. <laughs> There's another mention of uh, Bionic Kitty and MK Ultra in here, and a few show suggestions to boot. So thank you for all of that, Alex and Faye. And congrats on your wedding. I hope you had a great time. And thank you to everyone who wrote in. If you would like to drop us a line, those emails can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd like to hear your show suggestions, your stories, your comments, your, your questions, your corrections, and uh, anything else you might like to have read on the show to God and everybody, uh, including our regular prompt. Yeah, so darling, do you have a prompt for us? I would like to hear everybody's favorite refugee. Lots of options there. Yeah, yeah. More every day. Yep. Uh, so again, those can go to... HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. I did say our next episode was another one that would make you angry. Yep. I'm preparing already. <laughs> Maybe I'll have a voice by then. Maybe. Maybe it'll make you lose it again. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs>
I'd like to thank everybody for uh, helping share and, and donating to the final bid campaign. Uh, the time we're recording, it, it just recently closed. Uh, if you would like to play the game, you will still have a chance, but it won't be available for, for general sale until the dang thing is done. And right now we're looking at an October release. Yeah. Yeah. It funded, and and uh, now I have to write my part of the dang thing, so it's a good thing I have some vacation time coming up. Yep. And I, I really appreciate everybody who uh, met, helped make that a reality. Mm-hmm. Something else you can do to help is please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on wherever else you, you came across us. Uh, and you can also tell a friend. Word of mouth helps other people find us. So much. And it helps you connect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can also connect with us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram, all... At History Honeys. You can also follow uh, our dog, Moki, on Instagram at Moki underscore the dog for... I don't want to say daily, but almost daily uh, doses of happiness that, and cuteness. That fluff nugget content that you crave. That's M-O-K-E-Y underscore the dog on Instagram. Yeah. She cute. So I guess that's it for this episode. I guess so. Number 55 is in the can. Have a great day. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday, America. Yeah. And let's spend the next 200 plus years making America what we want it to be. So better. Yeah. There's been better days. There's been worse days. There's been worse days. So with that, I'm Grant. I'm Lena. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.